For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom, I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject was the Torah nailed to the cross? This is part one of the series. As an overview of this teaching, we're going to be sharing with you from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, Colossians chapter 2, verses 4 to 22, and 2 Corinthians in chapter 3. It is from some of the verses in these scriptures that traditional Christianity makes the claim that Paul was teaching that when Yeshua died on the tree, the Torah and the need for following the Torah was nailed upon the cross. So let's begin our teaching. To begin with, we want to understand who is Paul speaking to in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to see from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 and Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17 that he's speaking to those that are far off and those who are near. And we're going to see that those that are far off is a reference to the northern kingdom of Israel, also known as the ten tribes, the house of Joseph or Ephraim, and those who are near is a reference to the southern kingdom, known as the house of Judah or the Jewish people, most commonly associated with the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13, Paul writes, But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were sometimes far off are made near by the blood of Messiah. We are going to see that those who are far off is a reference to the northern kingdom. Then in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far off the northern kingdom and to those who are near the southern kingdom. So we can see from 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 46 that the house of Jacob in their exile in the nations of the world are referred to as being near and far off as it is written. And if they sin against you, for there is no man that sins not, and you be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy so that they carry them away captives into the land of the enemy far or near... Furthermore, we have another definition of those who are far and near in Daniel chapter 9 verse 7 as it is written. O Lord, righteousness belongs unto you, but unto 
us confusion of face as it is this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is the Jewish people who are regarded as near in their exile into the nations of the world because they can still be identified as a people today. And those that are far off, that would be the northern kingdom or the house of Israel or the ten tribes or Ephraim or the house of Joseph. Because their judgment in the book of Hosea was to be mixed or assimilated among the peoples where they were scattered. So those that are far off through all the countries where you have driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against you. So now Paul explains through the redemptive work of Yeshua, he has made those who are near, that is the southern kingdom, and those that are far off, that is the northern kingdom, he has reconciled them through his Holy Spirit, and he has made of the two one new man. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 it is written, For to make in himself of the two, those that are near and far off, one new man, so making peace. When Yeshua shed his blood on the tree, he not only provided reconciliation for his people to the Father, but in addition, he made it possible for reconciliation to be made with the world with the Father because of our sins. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 16 it is written, And that he might reconcile both those who are near and far off unto God in one body by the cross. And we can see how Yeshua shed blood on the tree made it possible to reconcile the world in Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19 as it is written, to wit, that God God was in Messiah reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. This reconciliation was brought about through the shed blood of Yeshua on the tree. This is explained in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 as it is written, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. The enemy of the God of Israel that causes separation in relationship unto him is not his Torah or his commandments or his instructions, but instead it is our sin. Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 16 as it is written, and that he might reconcile both those who are near and far off unto God in one body by the cross or shedding his blood on the tree, having slain the enmity thereby. So what is that enmity that separates us from the Father? It is sin. Sin separates us from the God of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 it is written, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8 Paul explains that Yeshua died to forgive us of our sins as it is written. But God commanded his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Messiah died for us. It is through the Torah which defines the standards of the God of Israel by which we understand what is the definition and meaning of sin. 
Paul explains this in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, as it is written, For by the Torah is the knowledge of sin. And also in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, as it is written, What shall we say then? Is the Torah sin? Is following the Torah sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the Torah. For I had not known lust, except the Torah had said, You shall not covet. Because the Torah was given at Mount Sinai as a covenant, committing one sin is equivalent to breaking the covenant or breaking the entire Torah. That is why Paul explains in Romans chapter 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then in James chapter 2 verse 10 it is written, For whosoever shall keep the whole Torah, or offend or break one part of the Torah, he is guilty of breaking the entire Torah. Sin is transgressing or not following the Torah. In Amos chapter 2 verse 4 it is written, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have despised the Torah of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 it is written, Whosoever commits sin transgresses the Torah, for sin is the transgression of the Torah. It's transgressing the Torah or disobedience to the Torah causes curses to come upon us. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 28 it is written, And a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 26 it is written, Cursed be he that confirms not all the words of the Torah to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. So given that sin is a transgression of the Torah, what is the ultimate penalty or curse for transgressing the Torah? It is death. In Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20 it is written, The soul that sins it shall die. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23 it is written, For the wages of sin is death. In James chapter 1 verse 15 it is written, Then when lust has conceived it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished brings forth death. In the Torah, sin is punishable by hanging on a tree. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22, it is written, And if a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, you shall hang him on a tree. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, we are told that when Yeshua died on the tree, he took upon himself our punishment for sinning or he bore our sins. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it is written, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So we can see from these passages that sin is a transgression of the law, that sin separates us from God the Father, and Yeshua, when he died on the tree and shed his blood, he died so that we can have forgiveness of our sins if we repent for our sins and thus be reconciled to God the Father. This is what Paul was explaining in Ephesians chapter 
chapter 2, verse 16, as we read once again, and that he might reconcile both, that's talking about northern kingdom and southern kingdom, who together is the house of Jacob and broke the covenant at Mount Sinai, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body through his death on the tree by the cross, having slain the enmity or that which caused separation between us and God the Father, that is our sins. So we can see in Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 through 6, once again when Yeshua died on the tree, our sins were laid upon him, as it is written. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So furthermore, Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, how even though Yeshua never sinned when he died on the tree, he bore our sins for us. And by repenting of our sins and receiving his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, we can now be reconciled to God the Father and be made righteous in his eyes, as it is written. For he has made him to be sent for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Paul explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 how Yeshua died for our sins as it is written. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 that it is the blood of Yeshua that takes away our sins as it is written, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then in Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, Paul explains, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, it is written, and from Yeshua Messiah, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And finally, Paul explains in Romans chapter 3 verses 24 to 26, how we are saved by faith in Yeshua's shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins, as it is written, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believes believes in Yeshua. So hopefully from these scriptures we can see very clearly that it was not the Torah that was nailed to the cross, but it was the penalty for transgressing against the Torah that was nailed to the cross. 
And next, we're going to look at a verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, that is commonly misunderstood and many times interpreted to mean that when Yeshua died on the tree, he nailed the Torah to the cross. But is that really what the verse is saying? Let's examine it more closely. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, it is written, And having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So the Greek word translated as ordinances is the Strong's number 1378 in the Strong's Greek Dictionary, and it is the Greek word dogma. So next we're going to look at some occurrences of this Greek word dogma in the scriptures, and we're going to see that it's mainly associated with man-made decrees. One form of a man-made decree is a decree of a king or a ruler or one that has authority over you, and most often these forms of decrees come from government officials. So let's look at some examples of that. In Luke chapter 2 verse 1 it is written, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree, a dogma, from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And then in Acts chapter 17 verse 7, Whom Jason has received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Yeshua. So dogma, or man-made decrees, isn't just limited to a king or one who has authority over another, coming from one who might be a government official. But there can be man-made decrees that come from religious authorities as well. In the next example from the scriptures that we're going to study are the man-made decrees that came from the Pharisees. And it was from the Pharisaic sect in the first century from which came the rabbis of rabbinic Judaism, who today would be called Orthodox Jews, or simply Judaism for short. And these decrees of the rabbis come from what is called the Oral Torah. And the Oral Torah is the rabbinic interpretation of the written Torah and the decrees or the rulings that they make regarding issues of life that are associated to the written Torah. And the rabbis teach that their interpretation of the written Torah and their decrees or the Oral Torah supersedes or is superior or is above the written Torah text itself. And that in order to protect the commandments of the written Torah, you need to put what they call a fence around the Torah. We can see this from Pirkei Avot, or the Sayings of the Fathers, chapter 1, verse 1, as it says, Moses received the Torah from Sinai and transmitted it to Joshua. Joshua transmitted it to the elders, the elders to the prophets, and the prophets transmitted it to the men of the great assembly, those in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah who came back from Babylonian captivity and were spiritual leaders over the Jewish people. They, that is the men of the great assembly, said three things. Be deliberate in judgment, raise many students, and make a protective fence 
for the Torah. In the Art Scroll, which is an Orthodox Jewish publisher, to the book of Genesis, or Breshit, in the introduction on page 41, there we see that the rabbis teach that the oral Torah, that is, the decrees and rulings of the rabbis, were taught at Mount Sinai. The oral Torah was taught in its entirety to Moses during his 40 days and 40 nights in heaven. And then from Sanchino, Midrash Rabbah, volume 6, page 736, it further details that the rabbis teach that the oral Torah, which many of the teachings of the oral Torah was written down in a work called the Talmud, that everything in the Talmud was given at Mount Sinai as well, as it says. They were all given to Moses on Sinai and contained statutes and ordinances, the Torah, the Mishnah, the Talmud, and Haggadah. And then, in the Sanchino, Midrash Rabbah, volume 6, page 613, we see that the rabbis teach that the Mishnah is greater than Scripture, as it says. The Mishnah, which is superior, or supersedes, the written Scripture. So, from the Talmud, in Pesahim 115a, we can see that the rabbis teach that their interpretation and their decrees overrides or supersedes biblical commandment, as it says. And even on the view that precepts cannot nullify each other, that only applies to a biblical precept as it relates to other biblical precepts, or a rabbinical precept with a rabbinical precept. But in the case of a scriptural and a rabbinical precept, the rabbinical one comes and nullifies or supersedes the scriptural precept or commandment. From the Sanchino, Midrash Rabbah, Volume 9, page 32, we can see that the rabbis teach that their rulings and decrees and interpretation is above the written Torah, as it says. The injunctions of the rabbis are more beloved than those of the Torah. If a man says there is no command to put on phylacteries, thus transgressing a precept or a commandment of the written Torah, the written Torah gives no explicit penalty for such a violation. But if a person says that there are five compartments in the phylacteries, thus transgressing the injunction or a ruling or a decree of the rabbis, he is subject to a penalty by the rabbis. Furthermore, we can see from the Talmud and Aravin 21b how the rabbis teach that their interpretation or decrees overrides biblical commandment. And when you violate a rabbinical ruling or decree, you are subject to the ultimate penalty of death. As it says, My son, be more careful in the observance of the words of the scribes or rabbinical rulings than in the words of the written Torah itself. For in the laws of the Torah, that is the written Torah, there are positive and negative precepts or commandments. But as to the laws of the scribes or the rabbis, whoever transgresses any of the enactments or the rulings or the decrees of the scribes or the rabbis incurs or is subject to the penalty of death. 
And then the rabbis teach that the God of Israel himself must listen and follow the decrees and the rulings of the rabbis. From Pesikta Rabati, section 3, a person must not say, I will not keep the commandment of the elders because they are not from the Torah. The Almighty says to such a person, No, my son, rather all that they decree upon you observe, as it is written, according to the instruction which they teach you. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 11. Even I, that is, the God of Israel himself, or Yahweh must obey their decree as it is written. You will decree and he will fulfill it. Job chapter 22 verse 28. So as explained in the Torah Anthology to the commentary to the book of Deuteronomy, volume 17, page 32, it explains in rabbinical Judaism, washing your hands before a meal is required to be done by the rabbis through their rabbinical decrees, as it explains. Ritual washing of both hands before a meal containing bread is mandatory, even if one's hands are immaculate or doesn't need washing. And then in the Talmud explains in Barahot 19a that you could be potentially excommunicated from the Jewish community. Well, that's going to conclude part one of the series on the subject, Was the Torah Nailed to the Cross? Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.